Take out your Bible with me this morning and turn to the very last chapter of the book of John, John chapter 21. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. We will read it in just a moment. John chapter 21, uh, very last chapter there in the Gospel of John, Gospel of John. And uh, I'll join you there in just a moment. We'll pick up the story of what's happening in this very final chapter. Well, you know, some of the greatest lessons in life are not learned in a classroom. How many of you could raise your hand in testament to that? Some of the greatest lessons you've learned in life were not in a classroom. And I think back on my life and the things that I've learned, grateful for the schooling, grateful for the education, but man, some of the greatest lessons I think I've learned in life have been in moments outside of a classroom and some just daily lived in life experience. And this morning, we're opening our Bibles to a passage where We're going to find in this story, someone learns a lesson, and it's not in a classroom, it's on the seashore. And we're going to consider this story and all that it means. And so this morning, you've opened your Bibles to John chapter 21. Will you stand with me? And uh, we will read not all the chapter, but I'm going to read just a few verses from it. Jesus, in verse 15, pick up with me there. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said unto him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he replied to him, yes, Lord, you you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I tell you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after the Bible says Jesus had said these things to him, he said to him, what's the next two words? follow me, follow me. This morning, I want to preach to you a message that failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. Father, this morning, we've come with hearts that want to hear from you. We pray that, Lord, as we have opened up your Bible, Lord, we know that when your word is open, God, that you speak. And so we pray for your spirit to speak to us by your word, Lord, this morning. We pray that you would help us to think about our life. Lord, maybe... One of us or many of us this morning will find ourselves identifying with Peter. And Lord, help us to remember and to see in your word that, God, your grace is so beyond our deepest failures. And that, Lord, failure is never final. And you had a word for Peter. And God, I pray that there's a word for each of us this morning. And so we ask that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. This morning, if you're keeping notes, the title of the message is Failure Isn't Final. Failure Isn't Final. I want you to pick up in the story with me in verse 3. Just look down at your Bibles and notice what happens. There's a story that actually precedes the dialogue of which we had just read. In verse 3, Peter looks at a group of disciples and he says to them, Brothers, I'm going fishing. And the Bible tells us then there were six disciples Uh, Their names are some mentioned there. One is James, the other is John, Nathaniel, Thomas, and two others were not given their names. They replied to Peter, 
Well, we will go with you. And so here they go. They take off heading to the Sea of Galilee. Now listen, this would not have been their first fishing venture. For at least four of the six guys in this group, they had been well acquainted with fishing. They had traveled to the Sea of Galilee many times before. For in fact, they were fishermen. And before Jesus had called them, before Jesus had uh, given them this responsibility of being part of his disciple gang, um, these men had had a vocation of fishing. And so Peter makes this declaration. He says, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. How many of you enjoy fishing? Can I see your hand? I know Eric did. He just raised his hand. Uh, they, 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 they love fishing. And, and I tell you what, Peter loved fishing. But this is a unique story because it comes at the very end of John's gospel and it's recorded for us after the resurrection of Christ. Actually, the Bible makes the statement in this chapter that this was the third appearing by Jesus post-resurrection to his disciples. And so as Jesus here has died... He had been buried, he had rose again, and then the Bible tells us that over a series of weeks, Jesus makes these appearances to disciples, some to the crowd, and so here is the third appearing of Jesus after his resurrection to his disciples, but we discover that there's something that's happening here, right? So Jesus had died, resurrected, even if you look back in your Bibles in John chapter 21, the Bible tells us the first appearing... Was when, was when the disciples were gathered in a room, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. They were afraid that because they had come to take Jesus and crucify him, that they would be next. And so the Bible tells us while they're all there huddled in this room out of fear, Jesus appears to them. I mean, what's more frightening, right? Like to be scared that you're about to lose your life or just to have somebody just show up and appear in the room. And Jesus does that. But what he does, if you read John 21, he comforts them. He commissions them. And then he confers on them the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is happening now, not just the second occurrence, this is the third appearance that Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection. And there's something happening because Peter makes this declaration that he is going to go fishing. And there are some Bible scholars who say that Jesus, that, that, that Peter was compromising his commitment to follow Christ as if um, he was kind of going back to his former life, his former uh, education, his former occupation. This was not Peter saying, oh yeah, I just want to go catch some fish for the afternoon. Some Bible scholars say Peter was saying to the disciples, hey, I'm done. I'm going back. I blew it. I was a failure. I denied Christ, I'm going back to go fishing. And they say to him, well, we'll go with you. But others believe, as do I, that Peter was just doing what Jesus had told him to do. Actually, if you look in your Bibles in the book of Matthew, Jesus had said that he would go before them into Galilee and they would see him there. And so there seems to be, I think, some truth that the disciples make their way to Galilee for Jesus to meet them and appear to them. And while they're waiting, Peter is just... You know, he's kind of frustrated. He's kind of anxious. He, he just makes this declaration, fine, let's, if Jesus is not here yet, let's go fishing. So is Peter right or wrong? Well, we're not told, but you know what I do know? Peter would know. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Peter would know. Uh, Peter would know if he was doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You know, the reality is for all of us this morning, in our life, sometimes we don't do so well playing the Holy Spirit for somebody else, but God's Spirit is very good at helping us know what is right and wrong. How many of you can say amen to that? 
So Peter would know if he was disobeying Jesus here or not disobeying, but either way, it doesn't really change what happens in the story. One thing we do know for certain is at this moment in Peter's life, certainly wouldn't you imagine that Peter would have been paralyzed by some of his failure? I mean, the Bible tells us that he had made so many confident assertions that he would follow Christ, love Christ, and then he goes to deny Christ And I wonder if in those days after Jesus' death and resurrection, certainly it would have comforted Peter to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. Certainly it would have uh, helped him realize that Jesus still loves him. But but we're not, Jesus doesn't actually have a lot of direct dialogue with Peter up until this moment. And I'm sure if you put yourself in his sandals, he's probably thinking to himself, man, if only I could go back. If only I could go back and change something. If only I could go back and do it differently. If only I hadn't been so quick to say what I said. If only I could go back and change things. Then I think we would be in a much better place. How many of you maybe would resonate with that with Peter? You say, man, if I could only go back, I'd change some things. And Peter, no doubt, he's finding himself in the midst of failure. And the Bible says they went out in verse 3. Notice in your Bible, they went out, got on the boat, and that night they caught, tell me, how many many fish did they catch? Zero. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they caught nothing. I mean, they caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I've been on some bad fishing trips, but I don't know if I've been on a bad fishing trip where you caught nothing. Nothing. Anybody ever been at fishing and you caught nothing? Nothing more miserable Nothing more deflating, nothing more discouraging. I mean, you went to go catch fish, and the one thing you set out to do, you didn't accomplish. And I mean, this wasn't just casting a reel and drinking a soda. I mean, this is hard work, man. This was casting in nets and pulling nets and rowing a boat. Can you imagine how tired, how miserable the disciples must have been? They went all night. They went all night and caught nothing. I mean, I'm sure after like the seventh cast, John was like, yeah, Peter, great idea to go fishing, you know. Well, come on, let's just throw one more in. And it's always just the one more. Maybe we'll get one more, you know. And they, they, they do this all night long and they catch nothing. Now, look, this should surprise us because the Sea of Galilee was home to a thriving fishing business. Josephus, the historian, tells us that at the time of Christ, you would, it would be nothing to find a couple hundred boats out on the water of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, so this was a popular place with some experience. I mean, and these guys are experienced fishermen. This isn't their first rodeo. I mean, they've done this. They've created actually quite a profitable business. I mean, there was Zebedee and Sons and then Peter and Andrew. I mean, they had quite this operation and they were quite involved in their fishing expeditions. And I mean, these were experienced fishermen who were used to catching lots of fish. And imagine, we're reading about seven guys, four of whom are experienced fishermen. They spend all night long on a sea that is populated with fish and they don't even catch one thing. I mean, not even, like, not even like the little sad story that you wouldn't want to tell anybody about. I mean, they didn't catch anything. They didn't catch anything. The Bible says they caught nothing. And what we'll see this morning is that there's actually an intention of a lesson in all of this. For Peter, his inability to catch fish spoke to a deeper failure in his own life. I mean, for Peter, it wasn't just the fact that he got an empty net. For Peter, it was the fact that the emptiness of the net spoke to him about something more deeper, something more uh, wrong 
in his own life. We read in John chapter 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So these empty nets, especially for Peter, as they cast after cast, after they reeled in net after net, it would remind Peter, this would, maybe he didn't think about it at the time, but certainly afterwards and all the things that transpired in this passage, Peter would remember that every time he pulled in an empty net, it was a reminder of his own ability to do anything for the kingdom of God apart from the power of God at work in his life. And so this morning, I want us to consider this story, but maybe look at it in a different lens than what we have maybe looked at it before. Notice in your Bibles in verse 1, notice how the Bible says that Jesus had revealed himself to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, but notice this statement the Bible makes. He revealed himself in this way. You say, in what way? Well, Jesus revealed himself, I think, in this passage in many different ways. In fact, I think what Jesus is doing in this story is he is calling back the disciples in their mind's eye to other moments in their life. He's, he's, he's actually, by the way he is doing things, by the way he says some things, by the things that happen in this passage, Jesus is calling back for Peter and the disciples to, to, to think about, to recall some of Jesus' commandments, to recall some of Jesus' provision for them. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, just let me give you three of those callbacks, three things that we're going to see in this passage, and they actually have a meaning for Peter. Notice the first one this morning, we're going to consider his calling, his calling to Jesus. The Bible, notice how the story begins. Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that the disciples are out in the boat, they're fishing, they've worked all night, they've caught nothing, and then the Bible picks up for us in verse 3, John tells us that, that there was a man who calls out to them on the shore, and he says, children, children, have you any fish? What was their answer, yes or no? No, no. And what does the Bible tell us? The man from the shore who they don't know calls out to him and says, well, cast on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I mean, seriously? <laughs> I mean, they've been out fishing all night long. They've been casting their net all night long. And some guy on the, on the shore says, well, hey, why don't you cast it on the right side? I mean, I'm sure if nothing else, Peter was like, you know what, we've tried everything so far. We might as well try that. And so they throw in their net, and then what we find is something miraculous happens. They cast it in, and the Bible says now in verse 6, they were not able to haul it in before the quantity of the fish. I mean, can you imagine that? They, they, they had gotten nothing all night long, and then they throw in the net cast, and all of a sudden they start pulling in and have some weight on. They think, ha-ha, we got something. And the more they pull, the more they realize this thing is like bursting at the seams. And it's at that moment that we find this first callback. Because in John's mind, he leaps back. His eyes go back in his mind to a similar instance. Remember when Peter was called? And John says to Peter, he says, it's the Lord. They can't see him. Peter, I mean, he took, puts on his outer garment. We're like, well, that's kind of weird. Wouldn't you take off your outer garment before you swim? No, And that day, if you're going to go meet a rabbi or a teacher, you better have your outer garment on. So Peter throws on his outer garment. He starts swimming to shore. And as he's swimming to shore to see Jesus, all the other disciples start rowing the boat. They're bringing it in. They're hauling it in behind him. And this moment where Jesus calls out for the shore for Peter to cast his net on the other side, it would have instantly brought him back to a memory 
of years earlier when he was doing the same thing. He was out on the Sea of Galilee. He was mending his nets. And Jesus comes to Peter and he finds him. You remember the Bible tells us that similar story. They had toiled all night and they had caught nothing. And now the rabbi comes and he says to them, after he had spent some time teaching the crowds, he said, all right, boys, let's go out and lower the net. And remember Peter, he's like, Lord, master, we've toiled all night and have caught nothing. But you remember he says, but at your word, at your word, I will go out and I will let down the net. So what does he do? The disciples go out. They lower down the net. And you remember what happens? Same thing, right? I mean, so many fish, the nets were breaking. They couldn't hold all the fish. It was something so miraculous. And you remember what Peter said? He says to Jesus, he he says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, Peter, he said, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will no longer be catching fish. You will be fishing for men. And the Bible says they left everything and followed him. So you're like, why in the world would Jesus have this callback in their memory to Peter's calling? How many of you remember the first time you met Jesus? Can I see your hand? How many of you remember when you first met Jesus? You know, in moments of our failure, in moments when we find ourselves in a place where we ought not to be, the first thing that we ought to do is go back and remember our calling. Remember when Jesus came to you. Here's the thing. You didn't sign up. You didn't think, hey, this would be a great idea for me to give my life. You you, you didn't start there. But he came to you. And he called your name. The Bible says he leaves the 99 for the one. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You remember the day that you gave your life to Christ? Jay, you remember the day when God came to you and he called you? Larry, you remember the day when God came to you and he called you? And you gave your life to him? I remember the day I got saved. I remember the day I got saved, and I, in my mind, in the midst of my failures over the years, I, I got to go back to that moment. I got to think about the fact that, yeah, well, I, I, I'm still a work in progress, man. I, I, I'm still a sinner saved by grace, but praise God, there's been a moment in my life which God began, and he says he'll be faithful to complete it to the end. I mean, pastoral ministry, when God called me into the ministry, I mean, none of us signed up for the job, yet he called you. He's called you. God's called you. He's called you unto salvation and he's called you for a task. And here, Peter, the task was very clearly, Jesus wanted him to be fishing for men. And he takes this flashback memory and he goes in this moment of Peter's failure to remind him of something. Hey, Peter, you didn't choose to do this. I called you to do this. You're here because I've called you. You're you're, you're doing this because I've called you. So notice, what do we discover about these flashback moments in in Peter's mind? He he noticed we, we look at his calling to Jesus, but secondly, notice with me in the Bible what it has to say about his ministry with Jesus. His ministry with Jesus. Notice in verse 9, so here it is, the disciples get to the land, Peter's there, and the others come rowing in behind him, dragging this net full of fish. And the Bible says, look up, pick up your Bible at verse 9, notice when they got out on land, what did they see? They saw three things. Someone tell me, what are the three things they see once they get to land, once they get to shore? Someone tell me. They see a charcoal fire. What else do they see? They see some fish. Wait, wait, where did Jesus get fish? But there they are. And then what else do you see? Bread. You see a charcoal fire, fish, and bread. And all the disciples see it as they landed on shore. What does that teach us? I mean, they've been out fishing all night. And we're not even told, but somehow Jesus has fish. How did Jesus get fish? 
And it just reminds us that everything we have in life comes from the hand of God. Every opportunity that comes into our life, every provision that is given to us, every gift that is given in our hands comes, is entrusted to us by sovereign hands who is guiding and sustaining and leading our lives by His grace. So, I mean, God is the one who is full of provision. It shouldn't surprise us at all that Jesus has what they need. But then notice something so powerful happens in verse 10. Jesus says to them, he says, hey, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. I mean, I just love this picture. It's Jesus there with his disciples. Jesus has fish. He has more than enough provision. But he says, hey, hey, bring what you got. Bring what you got. It's this awesome thing that as we think about the Christian life, that there is this tremendous partnership in our life. There, we, the Bible, Paul says, we are co-workers with God. We are fellow workers with God. The, the God does not need us, as we learned last week, but God uses us. God uses us. God uses us. And he wanted to use what those men had. Those men brought their fish of what they had caught by his power, and, and it's a serving this reminder for them of God's provision, but now notice something happens in verse 11. They get to shore, and just like any good fisherman, you got to count them. You got to count them. And how many did they catch? Someone tell me. How many did they catch? How many? Say it again. Say it louder. How many? 153. Now, can I tell you, as I studied this this week, there has been no shortage of ink spilled throughout the centuries on what the 153 fish mean. I mean, I think it's actually a sad state. I mean, I open up my commentary, and so much of the commentaries are filled with this 150. What does it matter? I mean, so there's 153 of them. But let me just, for sake of, so that you can see some of what I saw this week. Augustine said that the 153 signified numbers 1 through 17 being added up, and together they equal 153. And that's significant because 17 is important, and it all points us to there were 10 commandments, and then there were seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so that's the point. Or, or someone like Jerome said that there's 153 different kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee, and each one of them signifies something about the world and, and the people in the world. And so if they caught 153, they've caught them all. They're going to reach everyone. And some people say, well, the 100 stood for Gentiles, and 50 stood for Israel, and then 3 stood for the Trinity. I'm just telling you, I got one for you. How about the 153 fish stood for the amount of fish in the net? What about that? 153 fish, because that's what there were. And they counted them. How many of you wouldn't think an experienced fisherman who pulled in a pile of fish so large that it was almost bursting the net, how many of you think they wouldn't have counted them? Of course they would have counted them. And they count 153 of them, and it's one of these moments that are so etched into the minds of the disciples. You know, this is a good point to pause and remember that in our Bible study, the golden rule of interpretation is this. When the plain sense of Scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. It's pretty plain right there. These guys were fishermen, and they counted them. But why did they count them? Because they're going to remember this moment. This past coming Saturday, I'm doing a service for a gentleman in our community. Many of you know Mr. Jim Hoddle, and if you know anything about Mr. Jim Hoddle, he was a man who was full of stories. 
And I was talking to his daughter, Gail, this past week as we were getting things ready for the service. And he would say, you know, dad, I would tell, I said, you know, when I talk to your dad about things, I mean, he would just remember the most vivid details, the most obscure dates and, and, and any story he would weave it into her. And she said, I know. And she said, I asked him that one time myself. And he said to me, he said, well, Gail, it's, it's part of the story, isn't it? It's just part of it. And so why is there 153? Because it's a part of the story. It's a part of the memory. You know, the disciples in this moment, they would have had a callback in their life to another time where Jesus sits there and he takes fish and bread and he breaks them. And they remembered how many he fed on that occasion, didn't they? 5,000 and 4,000. Jesus is full of provision. And what is so important about this? Notice with me. Why is this important? Jesus is calling the disciples back. They would no doubt as they're sitting there with all of these fish, remember, they would have remembered the day that Jesus took five loaves and two fish and multiplied them for the multitude. And they remember how, how Jesus used them. I mean, if you go back in the story in the feeding of the 5,000, you remember that the disciples had responsibility. They had to go around to all of those people. And I mean, certainly this is Jesus, God the Son. Jesus, God the Son could have just made things appear out of thin air. Jesus, God the Son could have just said, boom, and it's all served, right? Could, how many of you believe Jesus could have done the miracle a little differently? Raise your hand. All right. But why did Jesus break it? And then why in breaking it did he give it to his 12 and call them out to go and serve the multitudes? Why? Because he wanted to use them. He had plans for them. He had ministry for them. And their whole life is Peter sitting there at this charcoal fire and these fish. He can't but help and think about all the moments in his life over the years of following Jesus where Jesus had used him to heal people. To raise people from the dead, to, to feed them. I mean, you just think about all of these stories, and he begins to think about his calling, but then secondly, he begins to think about his ministry. What about you this morning? I mean, do you have some miraculous moments that have been etched into your mind because of the work and kindness of God? How many of you have some moments? Can I see your hand? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You know, um, Jessica and I were talking a couple weeks ago, sitting out on the back porch and just thinking about the years of serving the Lord here. And wow, I've told you this before. One good day in pastoral ministry can make up for a whole month of bad days. Because you think about what God did. And you have these moments when you say, I don't know how that could have happened apart from God. I think about the buying of the property up here. I don't have time this morning to tell you the story of how that came to be, but there was a God story in that. A God story that, honest to God, as I'm standing here this morning, I went to Jessica and I said, are you kidding me? How did God do that? I mean, it shouldn't surprise me that God did that, but he used his people. And then there's moments where, where we have these memories. There's moments where we think about the way that God's used us. And so Jesus here, he's, he's doing these things in a certain way. He's revealing himself to his disciples in a certain way because he wants to call back in their mind to Peter's calling. He wants to call back in Peter's mind his ministry with Jesus. But finally, notice the third thing that he will call back to Peter's mind, and that is his denial of Jesus. Look with me at verse 15. 
So when they had finished breakfast, Simon Peter is there and Jesus calls to him, excuse me, Jesus calls Simon Peter to himself and he says in verse 15, notice he says, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now Jesus is doing something here that is so subtle that probably many of us would miss it, but Peter wouldn't miss it. Jesus is calling Peter by his birth name. He calls him what? Someone tell me, what does he call him? Simon. You're like, wait a minute. I thought Simon's name got changed to Peter. Wasn't there a moment in Peter's ministry where Jesus looked directly at him? You remember at his calling and Jesus said, hey, you, Simon, son of Jonah, but now here's what you're going to be called. You're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. In the Bible, the word Simon meant shaky. And Peter meant like rocky, firm. And so what you get what's happening here at, at Peter's calling. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, hey man, up until this moment, your life has been defined by being shaky, but I see you and, and your name is going to be rocky. I mean, you are going to be strong and firm. But here's what's happening in this passage. Jesus calls to Peter and he doesn't use the word we would think he would use. He uses Peter's word for shaky. Why do you do that? Because up until this moment, at least over the last few weeks, Peter had been pretty shaky. I mean, he had failed and, and he, he, he was not bold. He was pretty weak. And when Jesus said his name, Simon, it would have just been, if you were Peter, it just would have been this chilling reminder of what you had just done days prior And Jesus now wants you to affirm your love for him. And you're thinking about, wait a minute, do I really love him? And so Jesus asks these series of three questions with three (laughs) exhortations. He's asking three questions, and then Simon's going to give three confessions, and then Jesus is going to say three things. And, 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 And if we're Peter, in this moment, you in your mind's eye are being called back to another series of questions that were asked around a charcoal fire of whether or not you were really a follower of Jesus. And you remember in every one of these questions, it's like taking Peter back to his denial. And Jesus says to him, notice in your Bibles, look at verse 15. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You say, what is Jesus talking about here? What are the these? What are the these? Is Jesus talking, is is Jesus pointing? I mean, I, I, I wish, this is one of those moments, I just wish I could have been there to like see how Jesus said this in the tone that he said it and what he pointed to. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Who is he pointing to? What is he pointing to? Some people think he's pointing to the fish, 153 of them, as if Jesus is saying, Simon, Peter, do, do you love me more than the experience of fishing? I mean, some of us, maybe that would be the question this morning. Some of us really love some things. Some of us in this room love to quilt. Some of us love to sew. Some of us love to hunt. Is Jesus using the comparison saying, wait a minute, do you love me more than those things? Or is Jesus talking about the boats? Is he talking about the tackle and the fishing gear that would have represented Peter's life style before he came to know Christ? And it's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, Do you love me or do you love this? Do you you want to go back to your old way of life or do you really love me? Or is Jesus pointing to the group of disciples and saying, Peter, do you love me more 
than these? A lot of people think it's the fish. I personally think it's the disciples. You say, why? Well, if it was the fish, I just think Jesus, Peter would have been easily able to say it. You know? I mean, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Jesus, I love you more than fish. Come on. Come on. Do you love me more than your boat? Oh, yeah, Lord, I love you way more. I mean, if it was the stuff, I think he would have pointed to it. But it was the fact that he had up until this point made so many bold declarations. You're not going to wash my feet. If every one of them deny you, I will not deny you. And Jesus comes to this man and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think Peter is just stunned. He, he doesn't even have the words to, to say. He, 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 can't even, he can't even say, yes, Lord, I love you, and here's why. Because he has nothing to show for it. And those of us this morning that are here, and we know that we've failed God, you don't have to give an offense. You know that he already knows. You know that you've already failed him. It's not like you can say, oh, yeah, Lord, I love you. I, I did this, this, and this this week. But you don't have that to say. And so it's like, it's, it's as if Peter, I think, answers only half the question. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yeah, you, you know I love you. But that's not what Jesus was asking. I think Peter if we were to ask him, really understood what Jesus was asking. And he can't find the words within himself to keep up his comparison to all these other guys. And so when Jesus says, do you love me? Man, that's a heat-seeking missile question. That's a question that pierces every one of us this morning. If God by his spirit this morning would come to you and say to you, Ty, do you love me? Doug, do you love me? Tammy, do you love me? Would we be quick to point ourselves to the things that we've done? Or would we this morning find ourselves in a place where we say, Lord, I failed you and I, I, I don't even have the words to describe the way that I have failed you. And, I, and, 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 and it's as if, yeah, Lord, I love you. But if I'm really honest with myself, I... I haven't lived like I do. Jesus asked him this question. It's a question we all must answer. But then notice, Jesus asked it a third time. And the third time is really what grieved Peter. You say, why did it grieve Peter the third time? Well, I, I just think because he had denied Christ three times. And now Jesus asked him this three times as well. It, it, it would have made him go back in the moment to his denial again. But... There's a little play on words here with the word love. When Jesus was asking Simon Peter if he loved him, Jesus was using the word agapo. Uh, it's the self-giving love. But Peter was just responding with a lesser word, the word for friend. Well, it, it, Jesus is saying, Simon, do you love me? Like, do you love me truly? Like, do you really love me that you're going to give your life for me? And in two instances, Peter was like, oh, Lord, I love you like a friend. I love you like a friend. So then the third time, Jesus turns the word. It's hard for us to see it here, but we can see it in our Greek Bibles. Jesus turns the word and he says, Simon, do you love me? Are we friends? And Simon was just grieved. Because he knows Jesus had taught, if anyone is my friend, if anybody loves me, he, do, he does what I command him. 
And Simon knows he hasn't done what Jesus has commanded. He, he hasn't even lived up to what he said he would do himself. He's a complete failure. He, he, he's not worthy of God's love. He's not, he's just, he, he has no words to say. And Jesus, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And I love this here. Jesus asked these three questions. He's not asking three questions to add pain to Peter's injury. Jesus is asking these questions because like a master surgeon, he's, he's taking what's broken and he's setting it back straight. And, and, he's, and, he's, and he's telling, he's, 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 Jesus in this moment is restoring Peter. Jesus is restoring him. And you say, that seems so painful. Yeah? But what's the most surprising thing in the story? We're going to end right here. What's the most surprising thing in the story? I mean, there's a lot of surprising things. John chapter one is full of surprises. Jesus shows up in a room. <laughs> That's a surprise. Uh, Jesus gives them a miraculous catch. Man, another surprise. But there's something more surprising. It's the ending. Jesus takes the guy who was a complete failure and he says to him, okay, You're going to lead the church. <laughs> what? I mean, would we do that? I mean, would we go to the person that failed in one of the greatest ways and say, okay, hey, you're going to take the reins? No, Jesus telling Peter that he would feed his sheep and tend his lambs is Jesus saying, Peter, I trust you. Jesus is restoring Peter. There's something that's happening in this moment in the heart of Peter that we can't see so clearly. But Jesus says, okay, Peter, you're gonna be a leader in my church. Hey, can I tell you something this morning that God spoke to me about this week? That in our failures, he is not finished, amen? In our failures, God is not finished. Jesus is gonna entrust the care and, and teaching and feeding of his flock to this guy who had so miserably failed him. And I'm telling you what, if that doesn't speak to us this morning, it should say to us something about the profound, redeeming grace of God. That God can restore. And He can heal. And He does that right here in Peter's life. Let me end with this quote. I so appreciated this article that Zach Eswine wrote. He, listen to how he describes this moment for Peter. He says, what if after these grace reminders of our beginnings and life memories with Jesus, the only way to go forward is to face Jesus again by a charcoal fire? Tempted to recover without this step, what we most want is the denial or removal of the rooster and the charcoal blaze. But what if what we most need is the grace-learned strength to see more of Jesus than we do of them? Like the one who learns to regard the moon more than the shadows lurking beneath its glow. You see what he's saying? He's saying, he's, he's, saying, he's reminding us that, that roosters never went away after Peter's denial. I'm sure Peter wished they would have. But they didn't. And every morning of his life, he woke to the sound of what sealed his denial. 
And some of us, man, we've been there. We're like Peter. We've, we know we failed the Lord, and it seems like sometimes in life there are just these reminders of things that come to us about how much we have failed him. And what the author is saying here is, is, is those things aren't going to go away. We, we, we shouldn't ask for the removal of those things. What we should see more is the grace-giving strength that Jesus would give in our failure. That's what we should see. Those of us this morning that are so wrecked by failure should not go back in our life and just constantly make big the things that God wants to heal you from and move forward with you by his grace. God wants to restore you, amen? He wants that. He wants that. So what does this mean for us this morning? Jesus revealed himself in many ways to his disciples, but on this particular day, I think Peter came to understand something about the grace of God and he learned something that in our failures, God is not finished and he learned that for him, failure isn't final. God has plans for him. He wanted, to, he wanted Peter to go back to his calling, to remember his ministry. Yes, you have failed me, but God wanted to restore him. And then so he takes him to be a leader in his church. And here's the thing this morning. I don't know where you're at this morning or what you've been through, but, but God's not done with you. You're here this morning. God is not done with you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. Amen? Amen. Why don't we find something true about the redeeming grace of God today? Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, the truth of your word. We thank you that you can take us from where we've been. And in your grace, in your mercy... You would forgive us, cleanse us, make us new. I'm thankful, Lord, that there's a new chance, there's a new opportunity. This was something that so hit Peter, changed the rest of his life. God, I pray for those this morning here. They are paralyzed by failures in the past, wishing they could go back and change something and but there's no amount of time to do that, Lord. What we can only do today is take a fresh step in your grace and in your mercy. And so I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, help them, Lord, in their spiritual walk, take a step forward after you this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, would you stand with me? And heads bowed this morning, eyes closed. Jessica's going to play. This is an opportunity, an invitation to respond how Jesus is leading. Come kneel. Come, come down front. Kneel. Get before the Lord. Ask His forgiveness. Trust His cleansing. Allow God to set some things straight. Allow God to, to redirect the course of your life this morning. Hey, today could be a new day. Today could be a first step of a new life of what God wants for you. How are you going to respond to what God spoke to you this morning? The opportunity is there. The time is there. Respond personally, privately, in your seat, publicly, and how God is leading you, speaking to you this morning. Let's pray.
Would you come and pray for those who requested prayer this morning? Got some folks that have dropped in some prayer cards. Come, pray for one of these. Come pray for someone who's requested prayer this morning. Hold them up before the Lord. You know the words of the song, sing out. So Jessica will lead us. To the altar. Hallelujah. Amen. I praise God. Praise Him for His forgiveness. Praise Him for His renewal. Pray for you. Pray for you. Would you pray for our students this morning? We're going to be dismissed here in just a moment, but uh, stay standing. Uh, actually, be seated just a moment. Boys and girls heading to camp, teen camp, junior camp, sponsors. Uh, Justin, Brittany, come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. If you're going to camp, I know you're coming. There's 18 of you, so you've got to be here somewhere. Some of you are coming tomorrow, I know. We've got, I think, one unchurched kid coming with us this summer. And come on, come on. Come on up here. If you're going to teen camp, junior camp, come line up right here this morning. Come on. All right. We've got an exciting group this summer. We've got 10 teens heading to the wilds tomorrow morning. And eight juniors, and we got some that aren't here this morning, but I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them this week and uh, look at their faces, remember who's going, hold them up in prayer this week, and let's just ask God to do a mighty work in camp this summer. I'm going to ask Mr. Allen Lee. Allen would come and pray for us this morning and pray for traveling tomorrow and pray for the speakers and pray for just uh, the Lord to do a, a mighty work here at camp this summer. Father. And man, you're just too much. To see these young people. We just pray, Father, that Open their hearts, Lord, as they seek you this week. 
few wisdoms here, you know, counselors, speakers. We're just looking to you for a tremendous weight for these kids. Father, they come back refreshed and renewed. They'll be an inspiration to us to stand better for you each day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Boys and girls, you can go back to your seats. Everyone lift up your eyes overhead. We're going to sing out and close with the song of the doxology this morning. Afterwards, don't forget, there's an important children's workers meeting right in here with lunch. And uh, looking forward to what God has in store for us this week. So lift up your voice as we conclude our service this morning this way. Amen, you're dismissed.